When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today my guest is actor Paul Bullion, who you might know for his role as Billy Kitchen in the show Peaky Blinders. Paul can be seen in season two of The Witcher on Netflix. He plays the character Lambert opposite Henry Cavill. You might not know much about him now, but I found Paul to be charming, driven, and wait until you hear him explain why he loves competing in triathlons. First, I just want to ask, uh, where, are you, where, where are you calling in from, Paul? I'm calling in from, uh, from Croydon, South London. Oh, all right. So you are in the future. So how is the future there? I'm in New York right now. Okay. Uh, the, the future is, uh, is much the same at the moment, I think, as is five hours previous. <laughs> yeah, I remember years ago, there was like a, a uh, I saw a short film, uh, I think it's my favorite time travel film. And the idea is this guy made a time machine that allowed him to go back in time, but it was only 10 seconds. So everything, Amazing. <laughs> exactly. Hence, it was a comedy, if you couldn't think about that. But five hours would be just enough that you could learn something, but also have some shenanigans. Yeah, I mean, you could you could actually change your whole life with if you get ten seconds to repeat. There's a great film called um, About Time. If you look it up, he, he has the ability, and he, you know when he's he meets somebody that he, he kind of f- falls in love with, and he says the wrong thing, and he just rewinds just ever so slightly, um, and, and obviously it has good and bad consequences to it. Um, but it's a, it's a really great concept. It's like the butterfly effect and the sliding doors effect. Isn't it? You can change, uh, you can change yeah. a whole out, out, outlay. Yeah, I think maybe um, I, saying my favorite time travel movie is always weird, but I really like a lot of people like that film Primer. Have you ever seen Primer? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, brilliant. I just, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. And I just rewatched it like a couple of years ago, uh, but it, <laughs> it, it does still hold up. It still holds up. Holds up. Uh, but clearly, I'm not just here to talk about time travel. <laughs> with, with we can do that. <laughs> if you want, we can do that. Um, but I, I want to say, uh, as with any good interview, I started by looking at your Instagram. <laughs> and okay. I want to ask you about two things. Uh, one is there's a photo, and you have a caption that says, the caption reads, Paul, do you have a style you're going for? And it says me, colon. And what the picture is, is on one side, it's you. And you have like long red hair and an awesome beard. And on the other side is a Muppet. It's the ghost of Christmas present from the Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a likeness that I get compared to a lot since I've had longer hair uh, and, and the beard. And I, I'm not going to lie, if they were going to make a, a live action of that, I would throw my hat into the ring. To play the ghost of Christmas present. <laughs> well, I would think because you have a background in theater as well. Have you ever done uh, a Christmas Carol, or uh, have you ever played a ghost of Christmas present? No, I think my, my brother did at a school production when we're like I was about ten, he was about twelve, and you know he was, but because he was two years older, they always got the 
the the year sevens to do the uh, to do the nativity, and he was the ghost of Christmas present. I, the closest I got was uh, I played Joseph when I was eleven. So that's so that's still, about as exciting as it got. <laughs> I would say you still have a little time to grow into that role. I think, though. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I studied I studied uh, musical theatre um, at, at degree level, so um, I started out in in theatre shows. Um, um, I did carry a sword in my first job out of drama school. I was in Spamalot, the musical, the Monty Python musical. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that so. is, I mean, okay, as an American who is obsessed with Monty Python, it's definitely defined a lot of my personality, especially in, in high school. Um, what is it like being uh, someone from the UK to participate in Spamalot, the musical? Oh, it was brilliant. We, we, you know, in our in our um, first week of rehearsals, we had a few rewrites. So Eric Idle was in the room. Um, I, it, it was a real baptism of fire and an extension of my training, really, because I went went straight into rehearsals for that, and uh, I was covering Sir Lancelot, Sir Bedivere, Patsy, you know, everyone, <laughs> um, and I loved it. I, you know, I knew I knew the script like the back of my hand, and. Uh, um, and it was great doing all the, you know, the, the, the kind of fast paced, uh, physical kind of comedy. Um, it was great. It was really, it was really great. And, and, and just to know how many, cause we took it to like Italy as well at one point, um, just to see how that humor translates around, around the globe is, is amazing. And I, I know that many Americans that were over from, um, from, from the US watching the show, they would always, you know, come around to stage door afterwards and, and say how much they, they love Monty Python. So, yeah, it was, it was lovely to be part of that. I'd say, was there, uh, you said you took it all over the world. Was there a, a city or an audience that really surprised you by their reaction to the show? Um, I mean, the best, the best city we went to was, was Glasgow in Scotland. I mean, if you've ever been to Glasgow, they're just up for it all the time. <laughs> and, uh, and they, you know, that you know the whole thing about. Have you ever been to a? If you've been to a fish and chip shop in, in in Scotland, they fry everything. And for the week that we were there, they were doing um, deep fried spam as a special, and and it sold really well. <laughs> I, I bet it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say yeah. that even without spam a lot, uh, deep fried spam would sell really well here in the U.S., especially the, su <laughs> yeah. the southern U.S. where I'm from. Um, uh, uh, so you you referenced that that was the first uh, time you carried a sword. Clearly, uh, the reason we're talking today is the next role of the next series you have coming out is The Witcher, and you're, mm. you carry a sword in that as well. You, you play Lambert, and I'm wondering, what can you tell me? Uh, let's just start with the sword. What can you tell me about carrying the sword, and what can you tell me about Witcher Season 2? So carrying the sword, for me, uh, was quite important in my, my preparation every day. Like, I wouldn't just carry it. Uh, when we were filming, I'd um, I'd have it on as soon as I got to set. I'd ask uh, if the armorer could could put the sword on because it, it changed how I walked and it changed how I held myself. Because you know they are weighty, the real ones, obviously the the replica ones that we fight with are lighter. Um, but for the scenes, I would always uh, have my my sword on between takes. I'd eat my lunch with it um, because. It, it kind of informed how I walked and how I held myself. Um, 
so there's that and they were amazing like you know made from scratch each character had their own design beautiful and the trailer there's a bunch of other weapons we see knives we see fire there's horses um what was it like getting thrown into all of that and was there a particular like action or set piece that uh stood out to you that was a lot of fun to participate in um so yeah we had like daggers axes many many different kind of uh, instruments um to, to fight with uh and my fa my favorite sequence i suppose as i've mentioned before was um series training sequence uh which uh, we spoke about WitcherCon, uh mainly because with freya uh we had such a a fun relationship on set uh, and, and offset as well. It was just, you know, we, we used to uh, laugh a lot and that fed well into the scene, um, especially on long days. It's nice to just have a bit of um, kind of light humour. Um, but as you could see in the trailer, though, you could see uh, in the final trailer, um, a group of us lining up with our weapons drawn. That particular sequence, as you'll see when the show drops, was epic to film. It took a long time to film, but it was epic and it was well worth it. You playing Lambert in The Witcher and the description I think that's it's uh, on the site is the fact that he's a friend of, of Henry Cavill's character. Um, I noticed that Henry's character has like yellow eyes. How come you don't have yellow eyes in this? They're, they are uh, slightly mutated. Um, the, the lenses went through um, a couple of changes after we had them initially fitted. Um, they were almost too clashy with my eyes, uh, with my hair, sorry. Um, I've obviously got bright orange hair and, uh, and they, they added a spectrum of other colors into my lenses. Um, and the idea was that, you know, uh, the eyes were mutated, but they were a, a different shade of yellow. And you will, you will see it in, in, um, other scenes with, with closer shots, uh, when the light catches them, they are, they're, they're definitely not my own um, color and they are a shade of yellow. So for The Witcher for season two, when you first were, when you first found out that you had the role, what was your action? Okay, so uh, when I found out I got the part, uh, it'd been a very long day and I was on the bus back from central London to the flat that I was living in at the time. And we were waiting on it for a while because obviously with a show the size of The Witcher and um, with, with a, a part like Lambert, a substantial role, people have to make the decision. And there's a lot of people that have to be okay with the decision of who's going to play their character. So I was waiting for, it was going on three to four weeks and I had an agreement with my agent. If it was good news, um, she would call me. And if it was bad news, she would email me. Now, normally six o'clock, uh, for the sake of both of us, it's like, you know, I won't call my agent after six o'clock. She has a life and I respect that. So she, when she called me at half eight in the evening on the phone, and I was like, hi. And she was, she was very casual and she was kind of like playing up to it. She was like, hi, Paul, how are you? So I'm very good. I'm just on the bus. Um, why are you calling? Because <laughs> it's not like her to call at half eight. She said, um, um, uh, um, do you want to do The Witcher then? <laughs> <laughs> Let me think about that. I said, because um, she said, you might want to get off the bus. And I, and I, <laughs> I got off the bus and uh, yeah, I have to say I was, 
was excited. This was before the first season had even come out, but I knew it was going to be special. Uh, yeah, excited is a, probably an understatement. <laughs> and then uh, you filmed the show, and then that first uh, teaser or trailer comes out, and, and you're in it. What is it like seeing that uh, the first time? It, it's funny because I was in a hotel. Um, I was in a hotel, and it came through uh, to watch before I put it on my my, my socials, and no one was there. No one was there with me, and uh, I was sat on my bed and I was watching it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, there's some there's some swear words. <laughs> there was I was I was. Um, it was, it was a very strange experience because we were in this this massive you know, bubble during uh, COVID, trying to get this thing done, feeling very safe. Netflix, you know, really did look after us, but it took time. You know, it, it caused massive delays, uh, and to see it was actually a, quite an emotional experience because you are oh, we made something. You know, all that work's paying off. And it was great. And then um, with The Witcher, it's based off the series of books. Uh, had you read the books? Or are you familiar with them? Um, yeah, once I got the once I got the part, um, I read um, I read the Blood of Elves first. Then I read the short stories. Um, then I watched season one when it got released, and then I worked my way through um, the other books before I started film before my first screen test. Then I dabbled in the games after that because I knew the Lambert is a very popular character within the, the gaming world, but I was you know, very adamant that I was going to make Lambert my own. But there's enough in the books and there was plenty in the script to inform me. Um, and I feel like I really understand Lambert. So um, I have much respect for the game. I think it's a brilliant game. But um, yeah, I don't want uh, to, you know, anyone to be under the illusion that I'm here to do an impersonation. <laughs> I like that and I respect that. And I'm curious, uh, playing the game, how was it to play the game? Did you, were you able to complete it at all? Um, I, I haven't completed it yet. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, it's a massive game and there's no, you know, never really complete it really because you can go and do and make other decisions. It's a brilliant game. I mean, it's so colourful and, you know, for me, playing playing a witcher, being able to go into the into the game and, and, and learn all the different monsters whilst, you know, having fun and, and, and uh, in such a, a vibrant way is, is, is a brilliant resource to, to draw on. Well, and how was it working with uh, Henry Cavill? Oh, he's, he's an absolute gentleman. Um, he created an atmosphere on set uh, during a, a very tough time for everybody. You know, we we're all getting tested every day. We had seven, I think, seven months away. Um, you know, the... It, it, you know, wearing masks most of the time. And then, you know, it was, it could have been easy just to, just to kind of get into a bit of a, bit of a rut. But I think we all just felt so lucky to be doing something when most of the industry was struggling. Um, that, yeah, the, the mood was, was good. And, 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 and uh, Henry is, yeah, like I say, a gentleman, he, he, he leads from the front and, uh, and he, he likes to greet people every day, make people feel included. Um, and he's very funny as well. He's got a great sense of humor. Um, and so we would uh, crack jokes here and there, again, to keep the mood, mood light. 
and that would feed into the scenes really well because we are meant to be, you know, Witcher brothers, a band, a band of brothers essentially. So we have to have that camaraderie, and, and I think Henry was very good at um, at leading that. Uh, I'm very excited about season two. I really love season one, as a lot of people did. Is there anything else you can tell me about The Witcher season two? Everything has expanded. Um, you know, we're going we're going deeper into to detail now. So you know, we've got a sense of the world and a feeling for the world in general during um, season one. Now we're going deeper into the politics, the politics, and uh, all the the nitty gritty and and the relationships and and watching them evolve and, and form and deepen and, and all the exciting stuff. And uh, whilst we're still expanding the world as well, you know, you're going to get to see where where Geralt. Where Garrett comes from, and and you know his home of Kermoran, and uh, and 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 the rest of it. It's very exciting, and and it all being on one timeline, as well. Um, not that I I didn't particularly find the, the the first season hard to follow at all, but that's because I had read uh, uh, you know the books, and uh, but yes, I I do I do feel um, that the audience are are gonna uh, not be disappointed in any way. Okay, so Paul, the name of this podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. What are you currently obsessed with? I mean, it sounds really bad. I love murder documentaries. Um, no, you're, so, yeah. you're on the right podcast here. We are right. a big murder doc family here. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I've, I think I've exhausted my streaming services uh, with, with, with my uh, consumption of murder documentaries. I think it's the human behavior element that really fascinates me how somebody could do such horrific things and then just seemingly go around and, and be an you know a normal functioning member of society and then yeah um, i mean it's, it blows my mind um and in, in particular i mean one that springs to mind again on on netflix is uh am i allowed to swear you can, can swear, swear yeah <laughs> go for it uh, don't f with cats. Yes, yes, Unreal. yes. Unreal. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> uh, again, I, I finished that in one night. Uh, yeah. Um, that's, an, that's an intense one to do in one night because I had held off for a little while because for some reason, even the idea of the title and what that is was just horrible enough for like, uh, I don't know if I can get into it. So I kind of like, peeked through the door of that first episode and was just hooked. But watching that in one night, that is intense. Well, I'm, I'm also an animal lover. So I was, I was feeling all these emotions, all these emotions. Uh, and then they'd always leave the cliffhanger at the perfect moment to go, I can't, I can't go to bed now. I can't go to bed now. I've got to watch the next one. <laughs> so yeah, and then I couldn't, I couldn't go to sleep until I uh, finished. Yeah, it was, oh, it was incredible. Um, obviously horrific what was going on in, in the documentary, but so well put together. Yeah, it was almost so like unbelievable that it didn't seem like this was a real thing. And then you're seeing news footage and I was just like, how did I, how did I not hear about this when this happened? Well, I remember seeing something uh, online regarding the cats being hurt in a video. Spoiler alert, but it's, it's out there. <laughs> um, but then but then you learn that pretty quickly early on in the documentary. And I was like, oh, this rings a bell. I had no idea where it was going to go. No idea. 
So uh, the other thing uh, people might know you from is you played Billy Kitchen in, in uh, Peaky uh, Blinders. Um, that series has, like The Witcher, that series has a big fan base. When you look back at your work on that series, uh, what, what comes to mind? I, I just remember that was a very big turning point in my career. Not in terms of like, I didn't have like loads and loads of work after that. I did, I'd started working more consistently after that job. But what it gave me was this realization that I could do this. Like it was my first uh, sizable role on a, on a TV show. And at the time it had a cult following. Season two, it was this cool little drama on BBC Two in the UK. I remember Netflix then started showing um, Peaky Blinders and I went over to New York and I went into this bar called the Iron the Iron Monkey in Jersey City and uh, yeah the owner he was like why is Billy Kitchen sitting at my bar I was like what <laughs> what's going on <laughs> like and, uh, that for me that's when I realised that Peaky Blinders was turning into something bigger than what it was when I when I joined it absolutely amazing script. But what I think it did is it captured the the imagination of work of the working classes. I think, in terms of period dramas, so you had Dalton Abbey, um, and you had like the Tudors, you know. It, but it was all about those shows, as great as they are, they're all about the wealth, and and uh, and the upper classes, and, and and Peaky Blinders. It was really down in the trenches with the characters and. And I think working class people could relate to some of the struggles um, of the characters in, in Peaky Blinders and it had global appeal for that situation. I understood that very quickly when I was on the set and I was working with big names like um, Tom Hardy and, uh, and, and Killian Murphy and just being in scenes with them was just so, so great. The other thing on Instagram I wanted to ask you about was uh, you participated in a triathlon. Yeah, I've done I've done many many triathlons in my in my time. Yeah, I love it. It's yeah. a great great hobby to have. And as as uh, I'm I've kind of got into cycling over the pandemic, but I'm curious, like, how many triathlons have you done, and what is the what is the appeal? What what about it really like connects with you? So I've done I've done two Ironman uh, distances, uh, which is the three point. Do you work in kilometers or miles where you are? Uh, we do miles. So. Okay, so it's a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a full 26.2 mile marathon, all in one go. Uh, and I, that was the first ever triathlon, triathlon that I did. And uh, I did that in, in 12 and a half hours. Since then, I've, I've kind of learned um, how to be more efficient with my training. So I think, I think in my time, I've probably done, I think, 12 triathlons but i also do marathon running and half marathon running um and it's it's, it's for me it's, it's for mental well-being i think you're in a an uncertain industry that uh, i absolutely love but because i love it so much i don't want to take my value from it um so i set myself challenges away from the industry that i can focus on swimming is like natural meditation you know, I'm not. I, I'm no good at sitting still and, uh, and and meditating. I know the benefits of that, but um, I'm no good at it. I know everybody can, everybody can meditate, but for me, 
when you're meditating, you're you're tuning into your breath. When you're swimming, that's exactly what you're doing. I've never I've never felt more zen than after getting out of the pool after an hour. Uh, for me, for the Ironman or, or triathlon, I let me just do some math here. Uh, that is twelve more than I have done. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, mate, never, never too late to try. Hey, never too late to try, and you're, you're and still kind of say that. Well, if you're if you mate, if you're a keen cyclist, you're one hundred percent able to do it. That's most that in any race, the cycling is the biggest chunk. So, yeah, I think for me, it's I, I've uh, I've been through a couple accidents in my life where like I have some arthritis that also helps uh, oh. prevent that. But I, I uh, it's not about my joints. This podcast, it's about you. And I want to <laughs> ask you about another thing that I've been obsessed with lately, which is the film Dune, and you're in the film Dune. What was that experience like? Yeah, well, um, unfortunately, well, I am physically in it, but my my <laughs> lines my lines got cut. Um, had a little exchange with Jason Momoa as one of the Sardaukar soldiers. I can I can see why the lines got cut. It was a very tense moment, uh, and there wasn't any dialogue through all of that fight scene. It would have been uh, very strange to suddenly hear my voice booming out. <laughs> well, and what is it like to be on a film that big and that is that hyped? It's, I mean, it's still hyped. I'd say, like, like, similar to, well, there's no different to Witcher. I mean, I know Witcher season one was filming at the same time, not far from where the Dune, the Dune uh, uh, studio was. Uh, and I remember saying, like, cause my friend was filming The Witcher at the time. He had, um, he was in an episode in series uh, series one and I met him for a coffee in Budapest and I was like oh, how did I not get seen for the Witcher I was like oh. I was like I was like he was like how's Dune I was like it's amazing the sets are amazing but like you're so close to something and I knew it was only I was only there for like three days so I was like yeah that's great I just wish I was here longer and I was like and he was telling me about Witcher I was like oh what a dream it would be to be doing that oh so anticipated, which is like everybody's talking about The Witcher. And uh, he was like, yeah, I'm having a great time. Uh, and then cut to, I think, four months later, I get a phone call with an audition. Um, and that's and that's when I was like, ah, maybe, maybe I wasn't meant to be in series one. Maybe this is meant to be the part that I get. And uh, straight away when I read the scenes, I was like, I could do, I could do this. I was like this. I understand this character, um, so yeah, I feel like you know what is uh, meant for you will not pass you by. I know it's a cliche, but availability is your best asset. Availability is your best asset, and had I done something in season one, I wouldn't be you know playing Lambert now. So that's happy. a great way of looking at it. I also think you should uh, really want to win the lottery, and then hopefully that same series of events will happen. And yeah, have... I'll put it out there now. I want to win the Euro Millions, uh, and uh, maybe I won't win it this week, but maybe it's because I'm meant to win it next year sometime. <laughs> exactly. I'm thinking around May or June would be a great time for you to yeah. win. Yeah. Well, my birthday's in June, so that'll be good. You have been such a delight to talk to, Paul. I'm so excited about season two of The Witcher, and I wish you nothing but the best of luck, especially when we win that lottery. Oh, thank you very much, Patrick. Same to you. I want to thank Paul for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch season two of The Witcher on Netflix starting December 17th. I'm So Obsessed was created by our executive producer, Daniel Ramirez. Our editor and lead producer is Sophia Fox Sowell. And this episode was produced by Rebecca Flinor. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. 
Follow the show on Twitter at I'm So Obsessed Pod. And until next time, take care.